Hello everyone, welcome back to Meet the PAs podcast. This is Rachel. Before we get started on our fantastic interview today, I just wanted to give a humongous thank you to the Canadian Physician Assistant Educator Association for helping us purchase a new microphone for our podcast so that we can bring you better quality podcasts and more opportunities to record with more people. Again, thank you again so much to the Canadian Physician Assistant Educator Association. Welcome to Meet the PAs podcast. Hear the experiences of seasoned PAs, up and coming development of policy from industry leaders, and the exploration of those new to the career. Interviews done with a Canadian twist at Maple Syrup. Okay, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Meet the PA's podcast. I'm Becky. I'm here with Rachel, and, and we are interviewing Sophia Muggle today. She is from the UK, a practicing physician associate there. Welcome, Sophia. Thanks for being here on the episode. Thank you for inviting me. We would like to start out by getting to know you a little bit and telling us how you became interested and even familiar with the PA profession, being that it's so new. Everybody seems to have an interesting story about that. I actually started doing human biosciences at university, and my initial view was to go into research and specific cardiac research specifically. And as I was coming to my third year, I found that working in the lab and research is something that it didn't really appeal to me to think that I want to do that for the rest of my career. So I actually applied to medicine in my third year and I got rejected by all of the universities except for one. I actually got invited to an interview from Southampton. And I actually went to speak to my tutor at university to give me some advice about my interview for medicine. And he actually told me about the new profession, um, this new physician associate uh, profession. And it was something that had recently just come about, um, a new role in the NHS that allows patient interaction and the involvement of patients in my career so and I actually applied that same day when I went home um, because I really I was really it really appealing to me how I could actually go to a course and the course only lasts two years and I can start working quite quickly in comparison to doing a medical degree or that yeah so what what was appealing to me was the comparison in the studying number of years I'd be studying and how quickly I could start work and live a balanced lifestyle as well with that work. I have a photography business. I like to do art and lots of different things on the side. So the fact that there was this career where I was, I thought I'd be able to live a balanced lifestyle was very appealing to me. So the day I actually was supposed to go for my interview, the University of Southampton for uh, medicine I actually got 
a offer at the physician associate course at the University of Birmingham and I, I and I ended up not even wow, going to the interview and I decided to pursue the PA career and route instead and I think it's the best decision I ever made. <laughs> yeah we usually agree too yeah yep that is really interesting I'm I, I'm happy to hear that actually the career counselor that you actually spoke with had heard of the profession and knew about it and enough to describe it to you and and get you excited about it yeah I think I just really liked how it's a role where you become a general practitioner and you don't have to specialize in one specific specialty after you qualify whereas the doctors when they train and they usually choose what kind of consultant they want to become and then they have to stay on that path for a while and then if they want to switch they have to do their training again in that specific area but with, yeah it's obnoxious yeah <laughs> yeah so that's why I, I liked how I can train as a PA and switch between different things yeah and I know this is a bit of a, a switching track or topics a little bit but you briefly mentioned you also have a photography business now, I have yeah. to admit that before we got on to interview you, I did Google you. And the mm-hmm. first like, five pages that came up were about some a photography business. And I really didn't know that that was you. I thought that must be someone else. <laughs> it was me. <laughs> How long have you been doing that? So I started doing photography in 2014. I was going through a difficult time in my personal life and my personal relationships. And I turned to photography as just something to do as a hobby and I actually just started shooting some weddings just as a you know for fun and my mom and some of my friends actually saw the photos and they were like why don't you charge people for this <laughs> so so I just started doing it and I I from 2014 until 2018 I shot a lot of weddings And I did it as basically a side business to kind of pay for PA school as well, because, you know, studying, as you guys know, is not cheap. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So, yeah. And till this day, I still do the occasional shoot. But because I've got so much going on, I have to prioritize things sometimes. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, Yeah, you you run a couple of businesses. And so you're working currently uh, full time in a, a general practice or where are you? So uh, my journey was actually quite interesting. I I moved to London to start working at a job in GP. And prior to moving, I actually wasn't interested in GP. When I was at university, I told a lot of my colleagues, oh, I could never work in general practice. It's so boring. I can't really do many procedures because I'm a type of person that likes to do things like procedures and minor surgery. So... But actually, when I started work, I decided to just, you know, give it a go and see what happens. And I moved to London. I started working in this, started working in this general practice. And I saw so many different things. And I actually fell in love with it. It was a really good experience. And since then, I've just never turned back. And it really makes a difference with the kind of supervisors that you have as well and how enthusiastic they are. You being you, we agree with you that having some uh, supervisor who's very good 
and teaches you well is really important. What did the school just set you up with that and you got lucky or were you reaching out and making those connections yourself? So I was applying for jobs as a second year PA student, even when I didn't even pass my exams yet. I just thought to get the ball rolling okay. early. Okay, wow, wow. Okay, so wow. I just started applying for things early because I didn't want to be in a position where I finished I finished my exams and I don't have a job. I just wanted to start working quite early. I just came across this job in London. It was quite a good pay. So I went for it. I got the position. Um, and it was interesting because this particular job I wasn't even interviewed for. They just, I sent them my CV and they said, they said you know, we would like to have, have you on board. And I was there for a few months and it was it was great. However, the supervision at the beginning was quite good, but the supervision reduced very quickly um, in a matter of weeks. So I actually ended up leaving that job because there wasn't a lot of supervision in the end. And I had to leave the job also because I found out I didn't pass my national exam when I started working. So then I had to Sorry to interrupt you. So can we talk about that for a minute? Because there's actually a number of people who have oh, yeah. trouble passing the national exams there. And they're run from, our, from my understanding a bit different than Canada and the US. So here we do have an OSCE, but it's run through the individual university programs. And they prepare you for it and you take it there. And then the national exam that you need to show up for is the written portion. Whereas you guys in the UK have both portions run nationally, correct? Yeah, that's right. So I was just very unlucky with the national aspect of my exams. I flew through university, passing all my exams and thought I was quite prepared. Um, but then when it came to the nationals, I was definitely not prepared. I didn't see what was coming. The fact that I flew through university and I passed well, my exams at uni made me feel like, oh, you know, I'm going to be ready for the nationals. I'll be fine. But the national examinations in the UK uh, for physician associates are quite tough. They're very difficult. A lot harder than I found in my university anyways. So after I left university, I had to do a lot of preparation on my own, specifically after I found out I didn't pass the examination for the first time. So... Yeah, it's a tough exam. <laughs> what what percentage of people pass? So it's, or don't pass. It's difficult to say. It it used to be a lot um, in the past few years. So I'd say probably in 2010 they probably had a really higher pass rate. So between 90 to 100 percent. But don't quote me on the figures because I don't exactly know. But there was a a lot more people passing um, earlier on. But as the years have gone, I think the faculty have made the exams a lot harder and more tough. So, I mean, from what I'm aware of, I've heard in, in May 2018, I think about only 60% of people pass the national exams, but I'm not 100% sure, so don't quote me on that. But that's, that's what I heard. It wasn't a lot of people. It was less than 70% for sure. Wow. Yeah, yeah that, it, that there, that's a huge discrepancy between those few years. Yeah. 
I mean, I don't know if it's a discrepancy or if they've completely changed the way they examine physician associate students here, um, or if they realize, oh my gosh, we're, we're passing too many. We need to make it a bit more difficult. So. Okay. Okay. So, uh, but a good portion of people actually do need to retake it. Yes. Um, when I was actually going through my resets, I felt like I was alone. I as like all my friends had passed first or even second time because I actually passed the exam third time. So I honestly felt like, oh my God, I mean, am I, am I even meant to be a PA at this point? Right. So devastating. It's devastating. Pass and after I got my results and started working, I was actually coming across a lot, a lot of PAs in the same situation who are sitting the exam uh, second or third time. And is that what inspired you to start your the Matrix? Yes. Yeah. Company. Yeah. So when I was going through the nationals for the third time, I did not find a lot of help in terms of preparation for the national exams I mean there's there is help out there but I think you have to have a lot of money to to spend to be able to get that help so I just thought to myself if I do get through these exams then I want to set up a company for physician associates uh, run by physician associates yeah so I just wanted an affordable service that was there to support physician associates and they're learning both when they're learning or training as a student and when they qualify as well. Right that's the other difference that that you have in the UK compared to Canada is that uh, you need to recertify every six years is it? Yeah so we have to recertify here I think it's every five well I was told five years but I haven't thought about it because I've only recently qualified. Um, so, yeah, I just I just put five years in my head so I, I know not to forget. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, so then, so you start you you started the Matrix Education because you went through this experience not having it. So you created this. This is a big undertaking to create. Tell us a little bit more about what it is and and what uh, what it entails and the people involved. So the ideal beginning of the matrix company was when I actually was a student I was in second year and um, I was revising for my written exam the national written exam and I was using a lot of different resources for medical that are made for medical students for the written exam and I said to my partner at the time, Aaron, who's the co-founder of Matrix, oh, I wish there was some an app for PAs, uh, specifically in the UK at least. And he was like, okay, let's make it. <laughs> That's amazing. So the two of you co-founded it. Yeah. So I'm basically all clinical responsible for creating a lot of the content. And then Aaron is all like techie stuff so and finances and marketing and yeah and then we have pieces those are very important pieces <laughs> and very different pieces yeah <laughs> and then we have a, a team of doctors a couple of doctors and physician associates that help us put together the content um, and give us advice and tips on how we can improve the whole network 
And you guys focus on helping with both parts, preparing for both parts of the exam, the OSCE as well as the written? Yes. So we've just released the uh, beta version for the app that we made, um, which is there to physician associates in preparation for the national exam. I'd like to clarify that. Aid, not just be the only thing that they use. I uh, don't want to get sued. <laughs> so it's just, right. it's, just, it's just there to help students and qualified PAs to sit the national written. And we also have an OSCE course that we started this year in January, which helps with the practical element of the national exam. So the OSCE element only. And um, I mean, yeah, I, I, both of them so far have got good feedback. And we, we actually did the first course uh, for free uh, just to see if we could actually run it and if people would turn up or people would like the idea of PA running a course for PAs. And yeah, it just, uh, we've had a lot of positive feedback. Yeah, I've actually looked uh, and you guys seem to sell out quite a bit your your courses so if people are interested in signing up they should definitely go and and sign up as soon as possible for the weekend two-day OSCE prep because those sell out yeah they sell out about probably a month and a half in advance (laughs) that's great and your uh, website address so my website is matrixeducation.co.uk perfect and of course we will link to that thank you Okay, so that I find very interesting about you. I think it's a lot of work to put something like that out, and it just especially so newly after you. It's so newly after you graduated. It takes a lot of work, a lot of dedication. So you're learning your job as well as putting this project out. It's a really big undertaking. Congratulations! On Thank that. you. I recently, uh-huh. I recently started working in urgent care as well for the last few months, which I really like uh, as well. So you're doing both? So right now um, I work two and a half days in general practice uh, and then the other days I do locum work as a a physician associate in urgent care centres. So these are usually walk-in centres where patients just walk in with anything. Right and usually you hopefully you hope it's minor conditions and not the diabetic who hasn't been seen for five years. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. Good. It, what do you? What, what has your experience been thus far in terms of patients receiving you in both of those settings? To be honest, it's been great. Um, I've hardly got any. I can't think of any really negative experiences. At the end of the day, patients they just want to be seen. I don't think they really care who it is as long as their problem is addressed in the correct manner um, and obviously the healthcare professional is safe that's all that matters I think um, the NHS is already so understaffed so I think patients really patients that I've come across anyway they really appreciate it when they're seen so is yeah. there a huge uh, are there long wait times and a lot of people in the UK who don't have primary uh, so, practitioners you see so I think the average waiting time for an appointment with the GP here can vary between um, two to three weeks. So I, I work in 
a GP setting where I do walk-in clinics in the morning so I see a lot of patients that come to me and they're like oh no I've been trying to see a, a GP for so long and they're quite frustrated a few of them so when they see me I sometimes have to deal with that frustration which doesn't take too long but then they're very happy to be seen by me even though I'm not a GP but they're happy to be seen by someone I think we would say the same here yeah. Yeah, as well. We also have that experience. People, there's a number of people who don't even have a GP here. So that's like the primary problem. Number one is that they, they need to have somebody to actually be seen by. And then, um, and then, yeah, a couple, and it probably is a couple of weeks out for most GPs. I'm not sure what the, actually the average wait time is to be seen by your GP. I think it varies by the GP, how many patients they have mm-hmm. in their practice, if they prioritize same day appointments right. for things that are minor, like <clears throat> UTIs, UTIs and, and ear infections, ear and infections and things like that. And it depends how they're funded because some of them are funded on meeting those targets, having okay. same day appointments available, yes. and some of them aren't. So it just depends. Like even with the number of doctors I work with, their wait times vary from a couple of days to like six weeks. Yeah, six oh, weeks wow. is too long. Six long. weeks is too long. <laughs> yeah, it's too long for a GP. <laughs> oh gosh, is there so right now in in Ontario, Canada, anyway, at least, which is where Rachel and I live, uh, there the healthcare system here is undergoing a huge transition, and there's a lot of speculation as to what will come what what's happening with the political medical system uh, where you're at right now how are things funded and are there lots of issues about that funding going through I think it's it's difficult to comment when I have not a lot of interest in the politics at all (laughs) but I'll be honest but I mean I think the main thing as a physician associate, as, as, a, as a qualified PA that we want is regulation. So that's what we were trying to push for the government to do. Now, but, they've actually committed to doing that, right? It's just, at least that's our understanding. They've committed to saying, yes, we're going to put regulation through for PAs, but, or, or am I mistaken with that? So I think they have said yes, but. I think what had used to happen is this situation or this bill, it needs to go through Parliament. And there's a, there's like a few stages in Parliament for something to happen. I think it's like 10 different stages. And to, oh, my, that's annoying. And to my knowledge, we're only on stage two or something. So. Oh, God. Well, I imagine Brexit is taking up most of Parliament's time at this point. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so it is not any kind of guarantee that regulation will go through at this point because there's still so many uh, approval steps to go through yeah yeah I mean a lot of people ask me um, on a regular basis of when when our PA is going to be able to prescribe when are you going to be able to prescribe are you ever going to be able to prescribe and I just say at the at the end of the day I don't know but I'm still able to do my job if a prescription is needed I have a GP with me all the time so, you know, I mean, whether it'll be great if we can prescribe, but I, I, I don't think the government is in a rush. <laughs> Fair, right? No, they never are. So how yeah. do you work the uh, prescription issue? Do you 
so a patient just, I don't know, they're needing refills on their diabetes medications, their metformin, et cetera, whatever. Do you have to wait for that physician then to finish up with the patient that they're with currently in order for them to sign and then review the whole patient? Or how, how are you functioning with that? So it usually depends where you work and what protocol you've agreed with your physician. So they usually just want me to print off the prescription and I go to the my GP and then they will sign it and then the patient will receive the prescription or just give it to the patient. Or another option is you can send it electronically and it's it goes into the it goes into the GP's inbox before it gets sent to the pharmacy. So the GP will accept or reject it um, okay. according to that. Okay, that actually pretty quickly because they could just do that even from their phone then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of it, um, we have a systems in place where we can send prescriptions electronically. And sometimes I've, especially if I've done a clinic where the prescription is, uh, prescriptions aren't, and by that time I would have seen the GP after their clinic and they've signed the prescription. Yeah, that works. So it really doesn't hinder the flow of the clinic. No, I'm fortunate to have very supportive GPs. So I it doesn't hinder my clinic. At first it used to because I was new and I wasn't sure of the system. I felt like I was interrupting GPs, but they don't mind. They honestly don't mind. You just need to build that trust with them and they'll really appreciate your hard work. Yeah, the autonomy gets more and more the longer you're there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how how are things, in ter- how have you experienced things in terms of ordering other tasks, blood work, just basic things? Have other facilities been pretty open to accepting your orders on those things or because of the lack of regulation is there holdups with that oh no it's not a problem at all PAs can 100% request blood tests I can request a blood test every time I see a patient and because our system is all online I just request it from my user ID and I give the Oh, so then there's no there's not even a question because you have the user ID so yeah the receipt doesn't even have a question so what usually happens with me is if I feel this patient needs specific patient needs a blood test I would um, request it on the system a sheet of paper comes out with my name as the requesting healthcare professional and the patient will go get their bloods done usually the results come into my inbox um, if I'm at work that day or the following week but if if I'm not at work then a GP or another PA would be happy to have a look at the results. No, I, Sophia, I'm a little bit jealous that you've had that. I have never worked in a place where I've had my own personal order uh, ID to order anything. It's always just based off my name. So then uh, the person who receives it, I always end up having to meet them in person, explain to them who I am and go through this whole long lengthy process. So, yeah, I'm a little, I wish I had, I wish I had been at, it, I mean, even big hospital facilities that I've worked at, I've not had that. So I'm a little bit jealous. <laughs> Maybe it's something to feed back to the Canadian PAs. <laughs> Maybe. Well, it's actually, it's a topic here about how, you know, getting ID numbers. And the problem is those who do have ID numbers, which I, I gosh, I think it's not that many of us, but they're like within their own 
facility. They're not like on a provincial or national level. So tracking, but it would be nice if we had some kind of ID number on the, at least the provincial level. So we could track things a bit Well, in the other province, like in Manitoba, they do. Yeah. Yeah. In Ontario, Ontario, we don't. don't, Where most of the PAs reside and work. (laughs) Yeah. What things do you hope to see? I mean, we've talked about regulation, but other than that, what things do you expect to see in the coming year changes to the PA profession in the UK? So changes, I hopefully, I mean, I'd like to say regulation, but to be honest, I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. But hopefully more people would be more aware about the profession, about what we are and what we do. Yeah, I I agree. I hope that patients and other practitioners start to become very aware of your profession in the UK. It would make things a lot simpler. Certainly, it would encourage people to put regulation through faster if everyone's aware you exist. Yeah, definitely. I mean... I'm definitely seeing a change and I I think in the next two years people would definitely be more aware of what PAs are as I mean I'm I'm approached by recruitment consultants all the time for example on career websites and they say oh are you available for this work I'm looking for a GP or an ANP or you know this type of healthcare professional I'm like oh um I'm a physician associate and they're like oh what's that (laughs) but but some but some agencies have actually started to advertise you know ANPs GPs and locum work for physician associates no. as well that's wow, great so, that's fantastic I mean I'm currently working for one now and it's it's great so and as the time progresses I think people will integrate physician associates into their workforce so yeah I, I can see that happening for sure um that would be nice that that's fantastic. No, I think I think you guys are progressing really pretty well. It's frustrating at times, but really, when you look at it on the whole, it's it is progressing pretty well, mm-hmm. pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have trouble here because our titles, physician assistant, they, we often get job postings for administrative medical administrative assistants listed as physician assistants on the recruiting websites. Right. Yeah. Incredibly frustrating. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we don't have title protection, I think is what it's we called. We don't have title protection. You guys were smart and went with associate instead of assistant. Yep. <laughs> that was very, very smart. Sophia, do you have any other things that we should touch on? I think we've covered quite a lot, really. I think in terms of like um, anyone who wants to apply for the role as a PA, I tell, I tell everyone to like go for it. But before you make that decision, you need to prepare yourself as the next two years, you will basically not have a life. (laughs) (laughs) You won't, you won't have a life. Um, You have to dedicate your life to this role especially in the first two years in terms of the revision the studying there'll be a lot of family events that you might not be able to go to and birthdays that you'll have to sacrifice because a a lot of hard work goes into becoming here go for it don't second guess yourself (laughs) yeah fantastic great well uh, thank you so much Sophia for for being on the podcast today 
And for all of you, all of you out there who would like to reach out to Sophia, her uh, email address and contact information will be posted in the show notes. And if you would please take a moment to either like, rate, or subscribe the podcast, we appreciate all feedback. Thank you, Sophia, again. Thank you so much. Meet the PA's podcast is sponsored by pahelpers.ca, where you can find all your Canadian exam prep needs. If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit us at mtppodcast.com. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe, and we would love your feedback.